Hey, voice teacher, this is Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast, podcast number 33, is all about working with kids with special needs. My inspiring guest is Amanda Broadfoot. She is a passionate voice and piano teacher from Tallahassee, Florida, and she is the creative director of Making Light Productions. Now, Making Light Productions is an inclusive theater arts education program for children of all abilities. They have programs in art, dance, music, and theater. Now, Amanda is sharing her wonderful story and how Making Light Productions is working with kids, families, and their community. She has some heartfelt strategies for working with kids with special needs. And I have to say, this is one of the most inspiring interviews I have ever done on the Full Voice Podcast. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast. Resources for private, classroom, and choral music programs. And here's your host, Nikki Loney. Hey there, voice teachers. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Full Voice Podcast. As always, we are talking about strategies and teacher tips for those of you who are working with young singers. And I am so excited to introduce my very special guest today, Amanda Broadfoot. I want to start by telling everybody how we kind of met because <laughs> okay. this has kind of happened. This is how it happens with my podcast. So you had reached out to me and you had asked me if I would do a podcast about kids with special needs. And that is something that has been on the list for me. Definitely um, something that, that other teachers have asked about as well. But mm-hmm. when I started talking to you, and it was just through, I think, Facebook Messenger, you started to tell me about your school, uh, Making Light Productions, and you were so passionate about what you do with your kids that I immediately recognized that you were the person I had to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> right? So, and and I have to tell you, your 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 um communication with me like almost brought me to tears it was so wonderful and I thought I need to know this person and I need to meet her and I need to talk to her so I'm so excited thank you so much for being on my podcast thank you so much because I've been a fan of yours for a while and one of the reasons I wanted to hear from your teachers and from your podcast about this subject is because I've learned so much. And I, I love using the full voice, uh, workbooks. And I just, I have so much admiration for what you do and the people that you bring into our circle that I just felt like those of us that are reaching out to these kids that are teaching these kids. And I bet most people are sometimes, whether they know it or not, um, we ought to be able to connect to one another and share ideas. Oh, I love that. That's, you know, that's one of the things that I, I didn't expect when we started the podcasts is how, how and I love the word, the word you use circle, you know, community circle, because it is, we, we need each other. We need to support each yes. other. Um, but uh, can you tell, well, first of all, tell us a little bit about you. You've been teaching voice and piano for a long time. I have been teaching um, quite a few years. And I mean, I I started studying when I was um, a child and um, from, I guess, the age of five, I was um, studying voice and piano. 
And um, I actually went to college for something completely different, though I continued to, I, I went to college on a musical theater scholarship. I pursued writing. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, I was a screenwriter for uh, about seven years. And, um, and I worked in LA for about seven years and it, <laughs> I managed to keep myself, you know, keep in shelter and food, but that was about it. <laughs> and, um, and eventually found my way back to teaching those things, which were closest to my heart. And I mean, I still write and I, I'm, I write musicals for kids now, which is wonderful. But um, I found my way back to teaching and um, began working at a studio here in Tallahassee, Florida, where I am now. In 2013, I became director there and um, I got to see a wide swath of the kids and, and adults who came looking for music lessons and theater lessons. And so, um, I, 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 certain things started to kind of niggle at me about, about education and the way we do performing arts education about the same time that my own kids, I have right now, I have a 10 year old and an eight year old and my 10 year old is autistic. He is what they call high functioning autism. And that means that he can, talk to you all day long. You know, I mean, he can say any words that he wants to say, but communication is difficult for him and that knowing what to say and at what time to say it. And, and so traditional education has been hard. The classroom setup doesn't necessarily always work for him. And so I was used to thinking about things in that way. And so, um, I became really good friends best friends with um, my now business partner, Juliet Yakas, who also has a daughter with autism because she came to me as a student when I was at the old studio. And so together we decided to create a place where the actual goal was to integrate kids. We're not creating just a school for special needs kids and we're not creating a school that's designed around typically developing children. We believe that it's super important for kids of all abilities to work together and learn together because that's what this world is, you know? And if they do that and music is the perfect place for that to happen, um, then you don't ever have to teach them that a child with autism is a worthwhile friend or has amazing skills to bring to the table because they've seen it and experienced it and they just absorb it and accept it. And they will then grow up to be the kind of adults that will be hiring people and teaching people and training their own children. When did you transition into your own, uh, your own company? Making Light Productions was just incorporated last July. Right. And so for six months, so it was about six months, I taught out of my home. Right. And the word got out that we were doing this and that we were teaching music and, uh, theater classes in this tiny space in my converted garage <laughs> and people just kind of rallied around us. And I really do believe in the community and the village. Um, and uh, we had a whole lot of help from people and we opened our own facility. Thanks to all of those supporters have wow. a wonderful board of directors, um, which are friends. And many of them are parents with children on the spectrum or with special needs. 
And so we incorporated last July, we filed for our special 501c3 status, which is to make, be an official nonprofit. Right. We got that in July, in uh, November, I'm sorry. We, we, um, we filed that in October. And by the end of November, we had that status, which I'm told is like lightning fast. It speaks to the quality of the people working on it because filling out forms, that's not my forte. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a music teacher and I love doing that, but I try to, that's the joy of what I do right now. I get to focus on what I do best. And Juliet, who's my partner, is really good at the administration and the management. But um, so then we opened our own facility at the beginning of December of 2016 and as of right now, we're getting ready to start a summer camp season as of June, and we're kind of outgrowing our space. We've got um, over 125 students, and that has happened in less than a year. That is incredible. Wow. It's overwhelming to me to say that. Right. I, it's like such a dream, and I'll tell you the greatest part of it is the number of times I hear during the week when I have parents walk in and say, you know, my child loves coming here. There's just something about being here that just, they, they ask me, when, when are we leaving? When are we going to singing lessons? And, Mm. and they just love being here. And I, that just warms my heart. And some of these kids don't have that place anywhere else, you know? Right. Um, and so having that community where, and they're not talking about me when they talk about They can't wait to get there. It's their <laughs> friends that they've made. Oh, that's nice. I'm sure they want to see you too. Well, I really look forward to seeing them. But yeah, that's kind of where we are right now. We're finishing up our our winter spring semester. Mm-hmm. of, And we offer music theater, dance, and uh, art lessons in our building. And we will start summer camp in early June. And we are an inclusive community, um, an inclusive performing arts school. So we have kids, I would say about 50% of our children are somewhere on the spectrum, right? which means it could be anything from profound autism to um, ADHD, which is now considered to be on the spectrum as well. We have group classes as well as private lessons. So um, I really love to see the kids that start out just in a private lesson want to be a part of a group and then, you know, really just thrive in that area where they're making friends and working together. That is so wonderful. Now, how many teachers do you have at Making Light Productions? We have... All told, which is, um, and we we teach in our music department, we teach voice, piano, guitar, drums, violin. Wow. And we do combinations of those lessons too. So we'll do like, if a student wants voice and piano, they'll take those two together or Mm -hmm. they might do voice and guitar. But all together, we have about a dozen teachers and we have some that are graduating because we get a lot of music students, um, right. like graduate students from our local university, which has got a really phenomenal music program. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we'll, but we've had really good. Uh, we haven't had a lot of uh, of turnover, so we have a lot of folks that are coming back to us, even if they're going away for the summer, they're coming back in the fall. But um, we have about a dozen teachers at any time, and we started out again with just me. Wow. <laughs> When you were choosing the teachers, what were you looking for? That is such a good question. And 
I am really grateful to the experience I had at other studios before I came here because um, I had learned what to look for. And some of the things are really practical things, but um, I was looking for people who already had a degree in music. Mm -hmm. So um, in order to be a full teacher at our facility, you have to already have your degree and some experience teaching children. Okay. So um, they might be studying for their master's degree, but they've got at least a bachelor's degree. And some of them have their master's and are in their PhD program. Mm -hmm. But I wanted them to have um, a really firm foundation in, in music and music education. Some of them are pursuing music therapy degrees. So they have a music education and that's, that's a really good fit for us. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but then some of them are vocal performance majors and, you know, uh, finishing their master's degrees in, in vocal performance, but all of our teachers have got a lot of experience teaching and, um, that they have an affinity for children. I'll tell you the the first thing that is kind of a red flag to me Mm -hmm. is if someone says, you know, I, I'm not sure that I like being around kids all that much. I don't have that much. So I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not sure that if that isn't something that you're really drawn to, because right. a lot of the things I can teach people to do, but I can't teach you to love children. Um, and if they had experience with children with special needs, you know, in any capacity, maybe they babysat a kid with autism when they were in college or something. Um, but at least they have an understanding of what that means and mm-hmm. are willing to talk about it and are interested in finding out more. Um, but they don't have to have, you know, I don't expect them to have a degree in special education or anything like that. Okay. Do you help them get, get started with the kids? Yes. Yes. So we, if they don't have their degree yet, um, also they, they start as an intern Oh, I see. and, um, they do, um, some shadowing and, uh, a lot of oversight from more experienced teachers. But then we also have a behavior analyst who's on our, who's an ABA therapist, um, applied behavior analysis on our board who comes and does a training for all of our teachers and all of our staff wow. for, um, how to work with, you know, like little problems that might come up. First of all, what does it look like? You know, what kinds of things might you encounter in a lesson? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some ideas that you might try? And most of it is very practical. And I'll bet you, if I talked about some of the things that we discussed, teachers will be like, Oh, I, ha- I do that anyway. You know, I mean, I, right. cause a lot of the stuff you deal with attention issues and cranky kids and shy kids, it's, typically developing children will have one or more of those same challenges very frequently in the voice classroom as well. Right. So she comes in and it's mainly just to alleviate any potential anxiety or fear they have about working with these kids. Right. Um, Now, occasionally we'll have a child that has a physical issue with making sounds. You know, there it is. I, I once had a student with down syndrome that um, even pitch matching was was incredibly difficult. And I have a wonderful community around me of people I could talk to. And her parents knew that she was, the, I mean, their goal was not for her to become a professional opera singer. You know, she loved to sing. She loved coming to voice lessons and working on voice modulation and working on hearing and repeating pitches um, and, and matching pitches was really good for her. And, um, our, our goals were different, but boy, um, 
did she love and did, boy, was it a joy for me to teach her. So, um, our training is definitely a huge part of what we do. And, but again, a lot of it is about alleviating anxieties and, and affirming what teachers already naturally instinctively want to do. First lessons with any new student, Mm -hmm. you know, we're getting to know them. They're getting to know us. Um, how do you approach first lessons when you have a new student? Like what is the process at, at making light productions? Um, it will vary a little bit from child to child as I'm sure it does for anyone, because there's some of them that, you know, they first walk in and they're just really nervous and shy. So you're going to spend a lot more time just making them comfortable than necessarily asking them to do things. And then I have students that are the opposite end who come in, they're like, they have very specific goals. I'm getting ready for this performance or this audition or this competition and they want to jump right into it. And here's what my range is. And here's what I, my child, you know, right. Those, those students are rare for me anyway, but I do occasionally have them. And, um, and so I, I, what I'm eventually trying to get to is an assessment of, you know, what is their natural, what is, what is their natural range? What is their ability to hear and, and match pitches? And so I have a little, assessment that I do and I write down how, how, you know, what, what, how strong a grasp do they have on the proper way to breathe and support whatever they're doing, um, vocally. So I have like three of the easiest songs ever that I'll have kids sing if they've never had a vocal lesson before. Okay. What, can you share those songs? What are those songs? <laughs> well, the first one is, I, I kind of hate to say this. I don't want it to make it sound like if people sing this, that this, it's not a, a beautiful song. It's, it's a beautiful song, but, um, it also has to do with, I have a lot of my clientele are a lot of younger girls. Right. So, um, I'll tell you that I have never met anyone that can't sing colors of the wind. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, colors of the wind can be my go-to song a lot of time. And, and most of them are familiar with it. Right. And, um, the other one um, that for little girls that I'll have them sing is, do you want to build a snowman? Because mm. that tends to be one. So that one, I have to say, is kind of going out of favor. Even little girls now are going like, you know what? I'm so over frozen. So yeah. I guess we'll have to wait for the next movie. Well, it's out. all it's so- all Moana now. Yes. Moana, it's <laughs> all it's all how far can I go right now? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. We actually put a moratorium on any Moana or troll songs. Um <laughs> For this semester, because everyone wanted to do them, and I wasn't going to um, get into the the fisticuffs involved in deciding who got to sing. Um, oh, right at yeah. the recital, mm, I've had yes. that problem. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, but if you know, the first thing I will do actually, if I back up just a second, is ask them what is your favorite song, yes. and about fifty percent of them will have one. They all have one. They just don't necessarily all want to share it. Mm. But if we can get them singing something they like, or I'll say, can I sing your favorite song? If you'll tell me what it is, I'll sing it and then try and get them to sing along with me. So the, the, my greatest challenge a lot of time is to get them to hear the sound of their own voice. Then we start doing some really fun things that again, are just the start of any vocal lesson doing lip trills. And, um, I loved the, um, thing you shared in our Facebook group for teachers of vocal singers, where you, you let them draw the line and you oh, follow the expression the line. lines. Yes. Yes. They love that. And that will, I would say nine times out of 10, that will get 
any shy singer making a sound. If I let them know that they're in control and right. they can ask me. And we have this big mirror in one of our practice rooms where I teach a lot. And I'll use dry erase markers on that big mirror <gasps> that wall, that's on the wall and let them draw the lines on there. And they can make them as tall as they are or, oh. you know, really small and use different colors. And, um, and so we have a lot of fun doing that. The, I like that idea. Instead of like a piece of paper or a whiteboard on the mirror, that's a great idea. I might steal well, we, that. We use the whiteboards too, but yeah, the mirror is it tends to be a lot of fun. For it just feels, I guess, it feels a little naughty to get to draw on the mirror, and <laughs> but it works really well. If you use real, real dry erase markers, it wipes right off. And um, and I will use the mirror to to like I'll put them in front of it right. and draw on their their mirrored image where their diaphragm is and where their vocal cords and sort of like draw it on their mirrored image on the mirror and let them see. Oh my gosh, uh, that's great. uh, So they can visualize what's going on in their bodies and and watch how their um, rib cage expands and um, where their posture is. We'll say, can you stand a little taller? Let's, let's draw a line where your head is. And um, (laughs) so yeah, the dry erase markers in the mirror are something that I, I use a lot in that room. How involved are parents? Like, do you have parents in the lesson room or do you prefer parents not in the lesson room? Or I guess it depends on the child. It depends on the child um, if if they're actually in the lesson because some of them perform way better if mom and dad aren't there. Right. And um, my kids have always been like that. Like, you can go now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, because I don't I don't teach my own children voice. I I. I let them because they, they hear enough for me. So um, they have other vocal teachers and they're happy for me to leave. However, I do really um, emphasize with the parents that the parent needs to be checked in about what they're going to do um, okay. during the week. And I've told, I, I say to my students um, and their parents that I would say the number one determining factor on how much success a kid has in a lesson of any kind is not any sort of natural talent or even any particular practice schedule. It is how how much that parent is involved in um, in that process with them. And I don't mean like a stage mom that's going to beat them over the head. I don't have any parents <laughs> like that. I mean some somebody that's going to say, "Hey, I heard that you were working on this. How's that going?" You mm-hmm. know, and talk to them about it during the week. Have you set up a time? to practice what what's your practice time today because I asked the parents to make the kid a part of determining that schedule because then it will be important to them if they and they'll feel like they're in control if they if they decide my practice time is as soon as I get home from school or first thing in the morning but um that if the parent is there and just kind of gently asking you know what's going on what is your what is your plan then that child is going to be um is going to be more successful as opposed to the parent that has no idea even right. what the, the book looks like, you know, right. I mean, right. um, but again, I'm not saying it's a parent's job to drive them. And, but what I do say to parents too is cause I figured this out myself over time is that um, discipline is not a naturally occurring quality in a child. (laughs) You know, they're not going to, routine though is something we can help them with and out of routine and the success that comes from routine, self-discipline develops. So if we can get them in the habit of creating routines that are 
workable and practical and um, fit with everyone's lifestyle and they can be successful doing that, then they'll start to naturally do that on their own. I love that. That's one of the frustrating things I think for all of us with working with young kids is is getting parents and students and teachers, we need to be on the same page. And I love what you said there about creating routine because I often have parents who will come to me and they'll say, oh, he doesn't want to practice. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But, you you know, my son doesn't want to brush his teeth. Right. But, but and and often what happens is, you know, if we forget to remind him then then it just gets harder and harder and harder to get him to brush his teeth. But if we are right. diligent and go, no, you brush your teeth now, and this is where your toothbrush is, it's, it, that routine is so important. And I think that parents have to understand they don't have to police their children. They just have to set the guidelines and the reminders, and then yeah. the routine comes into place. That's a wonderful strategy. I love how you put that with the setting up the routine. So do you sit down with parents and discuss the child and, and what they like, their behaviors, their strengths, their weaknesses? Do you do that with the parents? Yes, uh, and, and I do that with every child, right. whether it's, um, as long as the parent is, is there. And I have a couple of, um, students who, um, their nannies bring them to lessons. So I might not see the parent for a few weeks, but mm-hmm. I still try to communicate with them. I've usually communicated with a parent by email or phone prior to, and they'll say, listen, they're coming straight after school. I'm still at work. The nanny's bringing them, but, um, I, I still have communication with that parent, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I have the same process for a special needs kid that I have for any child, which right. is to sit down and talk about what do they like? What are they good at? What are their challenges? What do they really hate? And, you know, <laughs> for, that question might be a particular kind of music for one kid, but for another kid, it will be they can't stand flickering fluorescent lights. That will make them crazy. Or right they have sensitivity to loud sounds or they love loud sounds. And that's really reinforcing for them. Mm. I have one kiddo that, I mean, this would be the case for most kiddos, but one that really, really loves all the crazy voices on this one piano that we have, the um, (laughs) keyboard. So we developed a process where he gets to pick out a crazy voice and do something silly on the piano after he does something that, um, I've asked him to do. And so we eventually faded that out. We don't have to do it quite as often. Now it just happens at the end of the lesson. He goes and finds this one laughing sound and makes it laugh again and again and again. But, um, yeah, I think that that's important. And, and this is going to sound a little trite, but it is absolutely what is at the heart of who we are. Um, when it comes to dealing with typical kids and special needs kids, we feel that every kid's needs are special. Right. So we just, we just approach every kid as though they have special needs and it's so far that has worked fine. Mm -hmm. Now we have, um, the flip side of that is that we have behavior standards for everyone. You know, it doesn't mean just because you teach children with special needs that you're, you're expected to let any, anything go during a lesson. Right. Um, we expect them to be attentive to what's happening, you know, and to participate in the lesson. And, but the way we approach that and make and, and engage them might be different. Well, it definitely is always different from one child to the next. Mm-hmm. I have some kids that um, have a lot of difficulty with sitting still, you know, and so I do 
definitely take that into account when I'm setting up our plan and how we pace our lesson. Mm. And so we move around the room a lot. We don't sit at a piano or stand in front of the piano for 30 solid minutes. Right. We'll play a little game. We'll go work on the whiteboard. We'll, you know, I'll, de- I'll make it more physical and move around a little more. I have kids that um, have difficulty not talking, you know, like that they, part of their stem as a child with special needs um, on the spectrum is vocalizing. My son is like this. So I am very familiar with the need to, to vocally um, calm himself. And so we talk a lot about appropriate and inappropriate times to talk and that it's a, a part of turn taking. We take turns and it, well, now it's my turn to talk. And then I'm going to pay complete attention to you when it's your turn to talk. And, um, that has varying levels of success. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think set that standard. Uh, your students recently did, you got, you went on a, a road trip and they did a competition back in February Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you tell me about that? Yes. They went to the Access Broadway competition, which is a uh, triple threat competition. It's music, dance, and and theater. So it's all three. And um, so we had a group of 14 kids that did solos, and they did um, either they did a musical theater combination or they did a vocal solo or they did an acting monologue or they did all of those. Wow. And they did incredibly well. Um, and uh, I, I was so proud of absolutely all of them. They all got either gold or high gold or platinum wow. awards. And um, just to single out one thing, because we are talking about kids with special needs, my son with autism uh, won uh, the Broadway Star Award oh for um, vocalist and um, got a platinum award for his vocal solo. And this is a child who wasn't able to be successful as as successful as he he could have been in public schools. So we we started homeschooling and and focusing a lot on the things that were his strengths, which are vocals and and music. And then also, you know, this is a child who wasn't talking at the age of four. And now at the age of 10 is, you know, I'm sorry, I'll get a little overwhelmed. Uh, This is so inspiring. And wow. Now, what, so can I ask, was your son originally in school at the beginning and then you decided to homeschool? Yes. Um, we started homeschooling a year ago last January when he was in the third grade. And um, a lot of it was driven by the fact that there was this impending standardized test coming up that we knew he wasn't going to do well in and that if he didn't do well, they would hold him back a grade, you know, and then his peers would all be moving on and he would not. And I knew that he had extreme test taking anxiety. You know, he's gotten to this point where he thought he just immediately assumed failure every time he looked at a test. And so you just give up. And so it had less to do with his knowledge than it had to do with his anxiety, which is a part of his disability. And I was trying to tell them this and say, listen, you're not testing his ability, his knowledge here. I know what he knows and you know what he knows. And So um, there was no way to opt out of that test and keep him on a normal diploma track. So I said, well, you know what, we'll, we'll just try this other thing. And I didn't know if it was going to work. 
with homeschooling, but the fact that we've been able to spend a good part of his day now on things that are his strong points, which is music, has made a huge difference to his level of joy and his attitude about tackling things that are harder. Because before his day felt like it was a whole lot of things that were his weaknesses, you know, and we, he still has to do math and he still has to do writing, still has, you know, he still has to um, do all of those other things, but we can break it up and, and do music more than once during the day. And um, that, the fact that he gets so much joy, like I, I think, I really do believe he gets an endorphin rush out of singing. The child goes through the day singing all day long and making light productions is inspired a great deal by my desire to, to be able to make a place for him that could be a long-term place, you know, cause our, the next phase of what we want to do is creating jobs for teens and adults with disabilities. So we're going to expand what we do to have a, a little store attached to our building and work with a local job training, um, program to bring in teens and adults to work in the studio. And, um, so, you know, I, I, I want there to be a place by the time he's finished with school where, and he may decide he doesn't want anything to do, (laughs) but if it's not him, it will be And my partner, Juliet, her daughter is 12. So a little older than Billy. And she's got the same fears and hopes that, I have, and we want there to be a place where if parents are afraid of what's going to happen and also, you know, very hopeful that there can be a productive life for their child with a happy community around them that we'll be able to say, yep, you can come here and give us a try. Mm, That's wonderful. I had, um, I had two lovely uh, girls that I worked with for many years who uh, were on the spectrum. I I don't know. Do they still use the term Asperger's syndrome? Oh, yes. Yes. That's um, the the primary difference between Asperger's and high functioning autism is kids with Asperger's didn't usually have a problem talking. You know, talking wasn't their problem. And whereas my son had a significant language delay. So even though he talks up a storm now, it's not considered Asperger's. It's considered to be high-functioning autism. So I had I had two lovely young ladies, and uh, and I really enjoyed working with them. Um, they they were just wonderful. And and one of the things that uh, their mom was always excited about was the recitals and the performances, and and you know seeing the other kids perform, being part of the concert, and um, uh, and I, I it was it was challenging because um, I had the girls in my studio for quite some time but when they got to uh, the end of high school there seemed to be less opportunities for them and my husband also has one of his students uh, worked with special needs kids at, at that level and he too was speaking about the frustration of um, they they try to keep them in the high school system for as long as possible and then after that, there just seems to be a lack of, of resources and support for those students. It's the same all over, I believe. I, I, and I'm delighted that there's so much available for super young children. You know, early intervention is key. You know, you get in there and you, you um, get them the support that they need at the age of three. And then in elementary school, 
again, there's a lot of support and inclusion is easier and more natural in the music classroom in elementary school. You know, all the kids go to the same music class pretty much. You start to get to middle school and then to high school. And this is a real passion of mine. It's harder to include those children. And because suddenly band and chorus become about competitions and you have to fit certain parameters in order to even function in that classroom. And, and I, the, we have some amazing music and theater programs around here, and and many of them are working really, really hard to be inclusive. Um, but it's just something I want to make those teachers aware of that, um, and the the administrators as well. That if we want to keep those kids in school that face challenges, don't take away the thing that brings them the greatest joy in the day. You know, they don't need to spend all day long just working on their deficits. Give them some time to experience their joy of music and theater and band, you know, chorus. And I'm not trying to harsh on public school teachers or private school teachers either for that matter at all, because they're all working way more than they're getting paid to do. And um, I think it's a systemic issue that we need to think about. And it, and it, it's not just in schools, it's, it's everywhere. It just happens to be performing arts is something that is, is, near and dear to my heart. And that's something I don't want to see go away from the public school because as much as I love being that private teacher that fills that gap, everyone can't afford a private teacher. And one of the things I'm proudest of at Making Light Productions is Juliet and I decided from the start, as long as we can, we will provide a scholarship for any child with either a financial need or a special need. If they can't afford that lesson, they get to come. And um, we have quite a large percentage of our students that are on scholarship. And our, our whole point of being is to continue to increase that. And we've been delighted with the support we've gotten um, from grant sources and local funding sources. And we've got some other grant applications in the works. But I, that happened because we got our 501c3 status so quickly and we were able to turn around and apply for, for those things. But we've turned that straight into um, scholarships as quickly as we could. Wow. Now, do you also accept like just donations from, from people in the community? To- yes, yes. And we have so many wonderfully supportive donors. Um, and we, we do that through our website. And we provide them with receipts because it's a tax deduction for them if they donate because we are um, an official nonprofit. And um, we started out, but even before we got our 501c3 status, because we had filed, and this is something if any teachers out there are considering filing, if you, in the States at least, if you file, then um, people can go ahead and start making donations mm. to you even before the IRS makes their determination because it's retroactive. Oh. So um, as soon as you get your status, all of the donations are retroactively um, a tax deduction. So, um that, that helped us get started to be able to ask for those donations and tell them that we were in the process of filing for a nonprofit status. Wonderful. But yeah, um, it's, it's well worth doing. I know it can be intimidating mm-hmm. to start that process, but if you're interested in being able to have a scholarship program and be able to take donations and um, incentivize people a little bit to do that, um, I would say it's well worth well worth doing that. And, um, and I, but I am very blessed because my business partner is 
excellent at the administrative stuff. She is a a, a wonder. <laughs> and um, she'll jokingly say it's, it's just about filling out forms, but uh, no, she's really, really good at um, making sure all of our um, all of our administrative stuff is taken care of properly, and um, well, that makes us able to do the things that we do. Well, I love that you're able to do what you love, which is to teach and work with the kids. It seems like you have a really great team assembled. I, it it is a really great team, and I I really love the podcast. I think you did more than one about dealing with money and the business side of it. Cause that has never been something <laughs> that I have been easy about doing. It's, it's, it's hard when you have the teacher relationship with the family to also have the business relationship with them. And I will tell you, I am really blessed because we made a decision when we started this, that we were going to try and separate church and state as much as possible. And we can only do that because my business partner keeps a really firm handle on the finances and where we are on everything, but she deals with all of the um, invoicing and collecting of money. And and so if a parent asks me or another teacher about their bill or statement, I will tell them, you know what, I know nothing about that stuff, but I can put you right in touch with someone who can. And when I say I know nothing about that stuff, I'm not patting myself on the back about not knowing about it because I, I think everyone should have a handle on where we are, on where they are in their business, just as you said in your podcast. But just the, the day-to-day bill collecting and that sort of thing, our best solution for our business was for me to handle the the curriculum and the creative side of what teaching is. And she handles the business side of the invoicing and and the collecting of the bills and the grant applications and that kind of stuff. Um, I want to ask you if you had, Mm -hmm. if you had some words for teachers who might be a little anxious about working with special needs kids? What would, what would you like teachers to know who might be sitting on the fence? I would like them to know that they've got everything inside of them already that they need to be very successful at this and that their fears are natural, but that the best way to overcome that is to talk to families and talk to the kids. Um, I think a lot of times people are worried that if they say, is there anything I should know? What's the best way to deal with um, Johnny's inability to sit still for more than two minutes? What Do you have any any strategies that you use at home? But I will tell you, parents love to hear those questions from teachers as a parent myself. And anyone who doesn't love to hear those questions um, – I I mean, I I actually have never met anyone who didn't want to be asked that. Um, But as long as you approach it with love um, and a desire to see that child successful and you look at it from that point, not as a complaint, like I can't get your kid to sit still at all. And, you know, I I can't imagine any teacher doing that. But um, if you say, hey, we're dealing with this challenge in class, um, in our lesson, Do you have anything similar that happens at home? And if so, how do you deal with it? But then remembering that most of the challenges that you will face will be exactly like what typically developing kids face. So um, I used to tell my friends that 
a lot of what I learned about parenting a child with autism, I would just call it the same stuff. I would call it extreme parenting. <laughs> you know, it's like, like extreme sports. It's just the same stuff you do for any child. You just maybe have to do it super consistently and you have to do it more frequently maybe. Um, and and that's my child. The other thing I would say on that note of that's my child is I'm an expert on my child and not on anybody else's kid. And every, if you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. You know, you've, you've met one person. That's the, the phrase. And I think sometimes people might fall into the trap of saying, okay, I've taught one kid with autism and this worked. I'm going to use this strategy and this is going to work with another kid with autism. Autism looks completely different um, in from one child to the next. It can, it can look the same. It can look completely different. My sweet, sweet Katie, who is my um, student, who's Juliet, my business partner's daughter, she has never been a behavior problem in her life. Will do exactly what I ask her to do. And um, she has, she has had autism since she was a baby and um, her autism, her sweetness and her demeanor and her perfect pitch, like can recognize a tone out of context and know exactly what note it is, is completely different from my son's autism ADHD, which is, looks a lot more hyperactive and, you know, his challenges, fidgets and talking. So I would just say, approach every child, just like you would with a typically developing kid. I want to get to know that kid. I want to get to know that family. I want that parent to talk to me, open the channels of communication, and then people will happily educate you. <laughs> you know, in the lesson, like I love how you have learning stations and you do lots of little activities. Is there any other guidelines that you would give people for, for working with kids? For setting a, a lesson plan? Yeah, for, yeah, lesson well, plan. Well, I, I write things down. I, I'm a planner, mm -hmm. and I do believe, and when I, when I talk to my teachers and my interns, I do believe in having written lesson plans. Mm -hmm. And I, I very often go off of them, but <laughs> I start with something, and I usually write them at the end of the previous lesson. So at the end of the previous lesson, I'll write down for next week, here are the things that we need to tackle, and here's what we talked about. And so that when I sit down to, to meet with that student, um, the beginning of the next week, I know what, the, what the conversation was that we had and, and what our challenges are. And then in terms of the pace of the lesson, I determined a lot based on the kid, but I, I always start with theory with my kiddos. Um, I come in and sit down and, or if, if they're, a child that's been sitting at school all day, I'll make my theory something where we're standing up and active and at the whiteboard. But, um, I start with, I start with theory because then I like to take what we've learned in theory and immediately go and apply it to the music that we're working on. Um, and I do that with both piano and vocal students and the combinations thereof. I like to start with what, here's what the, the lesson is that we're learning today. And then we're going to put it into practical application. Oh, I love and, that. And I always like to mix up in a lesson a combination of things that are super challenging for them with things that are easy, that they find fun to do. Mm -hmm. And so I'll make notes in my lesson plans about what they really love, whether it be a song that they love to sing or <clears throat> a game, a theory game that they love to play, something like that. I'll make sure that they spend a good bit of the time not being 
majorly, you know, uh, focused and stressed out. Um, well, I don't want everyone to be stressed out, but, (laughs) you know, um, not like having to be hyper-focused for the whole time. I don't, Mm -hmm. in that way, when they do have those short bursts of hyper-focus, they can do that and not have the anxiety that this is going to go on forever. Right. One other thing I would say that tends to be common among kids with special needs is they want to know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And that's probably why I started planning things out a little more carefully and telling them at the beginning of each lesson. So I use my theory time to say, hey, this is our plan. And for some kids, it's as simple as just saying that to them. We're going to do theory. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And we're going to wrap up. And let's look at the clock. For some of them, I it's important that they see the clock. When we get to 3.30, we're all done. Okay. When we get to 3.15, we're switching to XYZ. Um, they... They're very um, reassured by knowing that there is a plan and mm. that you're following it. You know, um, some uh, very commonly in kids on the autism spectrum, particularly. And with the younger kids, I'll use a some sort of visual schedule that shows what the different things we're going to do, the different stations we're going to do. With older kids, sometimes my son likes to make a list. He likes mm. to write it down himself. So I'll have him help me make the list about what we're going to do in the lesson and then we'll check them off. And that's very satisfying to him to check things off as we go through it. Now I wanted to ask you, so this is perfect timing because April is autism awareness month. Uh, Mm -hmm. Did you do anything special at making light productions for this month? You must've done some sort of event. We, we did. We, well, all month long, we have blue lights in our windows. We have a wonderful location, which is right downtown Tallahassee. So we get a lot of traffic driving by our, mm-hmm. our windows. So we have blue lights in our windows if anyone comes by at nighttime. And, but on World Autism Day, which was April 2nd, all of our kids, it was a Sunday, which is our big rehearsal day. Right. We have um, about 60 or so kids come through the building that day. And we had everyone wear blue. Parents wore blue. Kids wore blue. We took pictures for World Autism Day. And they did videos of the different kids saying, light it up blue. And um, so we we started with the blue shirts. But then we didn't stop there. So during each of our lessons and classes, we sat down and we talked about, why are we wearing blue? And we talked about it being World Autism Day. And I said, so we we're all wearing blue because that shows that we're on the same team, right? Mm -hmm. We're all a part of the same team. And that's one action, one very simple action that you took today, which was just to put on a blue shirt to show your pals that you're on the same team. So let's all come up with a list of other actions, simple actions we can take this week to make the world a better place for our friends on the autism spectrum. And so we made lists in every class and kids are amazing. They come up with just the most wonderful things from helping their friend find the right page in the math book because they know that that's hard for them to sometimes stay um, on task to um, inviting their friend over for a play date to just all of these really, really lovely things that they came up with that they were going to do during the week. So that's how we celebrated. We celebrated World Autism Day and Autism Acceptance. We also celebrated autism action. So we put it, uh, try to put our blue shirts to action. That just sounds such like such a wonderful community you have down there. They are lovely. Oh. They're an awesome, awesome group of kids. Thank you, Amanda, so much for sharing all of this. Thank I'm you. so, I'm sitting here 
smiling from ear to ear. (laughs) Like everything you've said. And like I said before, when you first reached out to me and the way you spoke about your program and your kids, I was just, you took my breath away with how passionate you were. I wish you were closer. I wish you lived closer. Me too. Um, you know, we'll have to come up to your neck of the woods sometime, escape the heat, maybe. Well, you you said your your kids have never seen snow, and we That's true. we have lots of it. Actually, not now, but we in the winter time we have plenty. Um, I would like to ask. Uh, you are a member of our Voice Teachers for Young Singers uh, mm-hmm. Facebook group. Yes. Uh, would you be uh, would you be okay if we because uh, what I usually do is I put the podcast on our our Facebook group. Would you be okay if people reached out to you with questions? Oh my goodness! Please, please do. I the if I could impart nothing else, it's the fact that I'm learning every day, and I learn from other people who have been doing more and doing longer than me and know more. So. I would so love for people to reach out to me, whether it's with a question or with an idea or suggestion, please do. Wonderful. And I'm going to put links to your website, Making Light Productions, on our podcast page and your contact information as well. Awesome. Are there other websites that you reference that you think might be helpful for for teachers? Oh, wow. Um, I... It's really funny that you say that, and I hope people will come up with some suggestions. I, I'm like everybody else. I do all kinds of stuff on Pinterest. I pin ideas all oh, the time. Yes, yes. Um, so if anyone wants to find me on Pinterest, <gasps> I'm there too. That's a great uh, idea. So, okay, so we'll. Yeah. All right, they'll find you on Pinterest, and and great. That's where I can legally steal other people's ideas and put them in a giant group for me. <laughs> so there are there are tons of websites that I definitely do go out to, um, and I'll pull things together that I think are good visuals and that kind of stuff. So I've got, I've got a big teaching music board on Pinterest where I have gone to all kinds of, of websites and, and taken things. Oh my gosh. I'm thank you so much. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the full voice podcast for more information and free teacher resources please visit our website at www.thefullvoice.com. Made by Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca.